This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zoo Pan's Markets. Court, I'm looking at tomahawk steaks right now. Have you ever had? I've seen had them. them. They, I've had them. I've seen them, and these things are awesome. They're great. We've I've had them periodically. They're a treat. You don't just I don't necessarily go in and buy them just to cook for myself. Right. But we had a, a Portland Food Adventures event with John Gorham up at Longolo Estate last year, and John, I think we had 50 people, and he must have made. Ten of these babies, these tomahawks. Yeah, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. I should, I should use it as a. We should put put it somewhere on the website because they're really cool. They're yeah. beautiful. But the picture I'm looking at right now with Zupans, same thing. Tomahawk steak with the big bone in it. They're well marbled. They're delicious. The meat on the bone is fantastic. It looks exactly like what you would think a tomahawk, you know, uh, axe would look like. Right. You don't want to hurt anybody with no. it, though. No. I don't, I don't even know if you can. No. While you're at Zupans.com looking at that uh, beautiful piece of meat, you should also reserve your Thanksgiving feast. You can right now head on over to Zupans.com. And sign up for I don't know a full they they will do a complete dinner for eight to ten people but and you awesome. can go I believe it's on sa- this coming Saturday the tenth yep uh, they're doing a tasting of all their Thanksgiving goodies and I did that last year it's uh, you can actually have Thanksgiving a few days dinner a few days it's a, it's a smart way to do it so you can get an idea of what you should order for your Thanksgiving feast or just like Chris pointed out if you're just a little well, hungry Saturday you order afternoon. bits and pieces right. though there's some there's a side dish that I've been like. doing this for two years now and it's been the best thing we've ever done for Thanksgiving is to just include Zupans and they do all the hard work yeah not all of it we still like to make our turkey sure. but we'll, we'll do some of it they also I don't know if you're aware but they also have some they also have Carrie St. Honoré Treats. Oh, yeah. Know, and we had, we discussed that here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can get pumpkin pie tarts and, uh, or pecan, pecan pumpkin tart and uh, the St. Honore stuff. But all the, their bakery is just fantastic. A lot of great bakeries yeah. um, supply them. And uh, their breads, the bre- their bread section is second to none. Some of our best bakeries in Portland, you can source their goods at Zupan's. Don't forget, well, you're at Zoo Pants to sign up for the news feed. You just took advantage of that. A little marinara sauce yeah. last year, last week with some pasta. It's yeah. very good. Zoo Pants marinara and they have a basil, um, garden basil. I don't know if that's what it's called, but they have two different varieties. They, they can themselves. Yeah, the news feed will give you weekly updates about what's going on in the stores as well as some incentives to come in and, and occasionally get things for free, which is just awesome. Yeah. Walk in, pull out your email, check out what you're going to get for free and go shopping. Three locations, Zupans. You've got the one on Burnside, Lake Grove, McAdam, and of course, always, Zupans.com. All right, time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcasts. It's right at the fork. And over there, saying those words is Court Johnson of Kink.fm. Yeah, that, uh, that's and, that's correct. And the podcast. And the podcast. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the guy introducing me. We did it out of order this time. And well, I think we need to change it up a little yeah. bit. Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. And while we're talking about Portland Food Adventures, you've got some pretty cool stuff going on that I think people should know about. I got, uh, yeah, a couple of things. First... Um, Melbourne, Australia. Have you ever been to Australia? Court? I have not. Well, it's time. I hear so, it's uh, lovely this time of year. Right. So we have, um, we had an interview with Nolan Hurdy of, uh, Proud Mary Coffee. Mm-hmm. One of our, I love that interview. Yeah. He's the nicest guy. We're doing a trip with Nolan. If you're into coffee, you're into breakfast, you're into brunch, into Australia, into cool people, Melbourne, Australia, Portland Food Adventures trip, April 6th to the 14th, and uh, we've got a pretty good offer right now, so call me, 503-314-4221, or go on portlandfoodadventures.com, check out that trip and the interview with Nolan, which is in the center column, if you look up the uh, trips tab, and um, see if you want to come with us, it's going to be a fun trip, and also... You remember on this podcast not too long ago with Lucian mm-hmm. Prelwitz. Yes. We were talking, and that was episode number 176. We actually started on the podcast. We agreed, hey, let's do a, uh, let's do a Portland Food Adventures yeah. dinner at your new place, which is uh, Bar West, 
which is in the old Wildwood mm-hmm. spot. I mentioned this at my event last night, and I got a bunch of, ooh. Oh, nice. Everybody's waiting to hear what's going on. It's a good indicator right there. Uh, yeah, I thought so. So uh, that's January 17th. Get in on that one. It's going to be a really fun dinner at a brand new place. Lucian of Beast and Ned Ludd fame is opening his own spot in the old Wildwood spot. Nice. So get on that with us. And also a couple of other things that everybody should be interested to hear. There is uh, some chefs from around North America and are converging for three special nights in Portland. Thursday, November 15th, Friday the 16th, and Sunday the 18th. It's Chef's Feed Indie Week, and you're going to need to check these dinners out. Portland chefs include Johanna Ware of Small Wares and BJ Smith, Maya Lovelace, all cooking with Chef Chris Frazier hosting this series at Renata. There are also more than a dozen, I think over 20 actually, great chefs from notable restaurants across the U.S. Your chance to get on something quite cool and different. I'll be going on Thursday night, and I'm really looking forward to the return of Claire Gordon, uh, Portland's own Claire Gordon, to uh, Portland. Events start at 99 bucks with anywhere from 12 to 24 courses. This is like a Gary the Foodie extravaganza. Yeah, it sounds like it. Except you won't find him there because there are going to be too many people. Right, okay. So, um, But they're all paired, and you can check out all the lineups and buy tickets at chefsfeedindieweek.com. And that indie is spelled I-N-D-I-E, in case you're thinking of it as the Indy 500. It's not that. Okay. So there's that. And then also, Seamus Foran, who was episode 95 from Acadia Bistro. That's right. He's doing his big gumbo week, uh, the November 16th and 17th. Friday and Saturday night. You probably want to try that because that place is really awesome. Acadia Bistro has always been one of my sleeper favorites in yes. Portland. Oh, yeah. So do that. That's a lot of that's a lot of news to so, chew it's on. It's a lot of news, but this is where you come for it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I think our guest on this week's episode, Chris, it, it, um, might be in charge or part of the management team that serves maybe the most people in one night. We think so. In Portland. In Portland. Yeah, it's not a cruise ship, no, but it's no. almost like that. It's it's kind of a similar idea. Right. It's at the Mac Club, and so they have a few restaurants there. And uh, Phil Oswalt is the... He gave me his title. He's the number two guy there. Right. And so under Chef Philippe Below, who most of us know about, mm-hmm. who's been around for a long time, but they've been at the Mac Club together for nine years now, yeah. and... Uh, as he said, serving about 2,000 covers a day. And that's the various restaurants that are part of the Mac. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big responsibility. Yeah. And those are discerning diners. There's a, there's right? a uh, he gives a uh, very visual um, description of the amount of potatoes, I think. It, during this interview, and I started thinking about that. Just it, 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 it your it, your head will explode when you think about the amount of potatoes they go through. Like Mr. Potato Head explosion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I happened to go. They had a lobster month last uh, last month. Mm-hmm. And I happened to go with a friend, and they served lobster a number of different ways, including just a nice, beautifully done, perfect lobster, straight up with a little butter. And I uh, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. And Court, we have to make sure in January, I think it's January, they're doing crab month. Yeah, no, he, there, there's the invite at the end so of this we're interview. There. We're going to spend time. I haven't seen Randy in a long time. Yeah, this is our confirmation right now. This is our, We'll be there. Well, we have to confirm it <laughs> with someone other out. than ourselves. Yeah, we, sure. Okay. <laughs> there is that. But you're confirming, you're, you're committing. I have every intention of being there. We have to do that. We haven't dined in a long time together. Yeah. So at the Mac Club would be a special opportunity. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about the uh, the Mac Club is it's it's got a it's got that view of what's the name of the stadium now where the Timbers play? Oh, the uh, Providence Park. Providence Park this yeah. year, mm-hmm. yes. So, sorry, I'm I'm not a big Timbers fan. That's all right. But, they'll they'll end up renaming it like in a year or so. But it's still beautiful. The, the oh yeah, park, no, it's, and it's cool to see. Yep. But the Mac Club, um, one of the you know, it's been around for a long time and uh, serves a lot of dinners in Portland, probably as we as we said more than anyone else. So Phil Oswald is a very important person over there and uh, has a lot to do with many meals served in Portland every day. So it's a great honor and an opportunity to talk to a really, really nice guy. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. 
For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard in Portland for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks in Portland, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com and by San Pellegrino. Iconic, fresh, sparkling water with an extraordinary Italian heritage. It's a great refreshing way to enhance any dining experience. Ask for San Pellegrino by name the next time you're having a great meal. Ever since its foundation in 1899, San Pellegrino has been a premium brand synonymous with style. Try it with your next meal and enjoy the difference San Pellegrino can make. Oh, you sound great. You want to you run the show? You want to interview me? <laughs> so... You drove all the way back to Manzanita that night? No. After no, uh, no, the next morning. Okay, good. Yes. And then I just came back this morning, just like now. Dropped dogs off. Uh, and here I am. I see your post. It looks beautiful. Oh, out there? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's nice. It's a, it's a, it's a nice place to live. But, you know, I got to see your environs the other night and where you work is pretty nice it's like it's nice it's big it's, it's like portland's best kept secret yeah well that's why it's nice to have you here and you're the unsung hero there i think at least according to philippe he was very glad to hear you were coming on the podcast so you're the so there's the philippe and philip show over there yeah it's kind of ridiculous and uh and he gets a lot of the attention but it seems to me that you're the one on the ground in the trenches. Yeah, he's the, you know, he's the, the face, the, the PR captain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but myself and the rest of the team are kind of the operators. And how many in your team? Well, that's what I wanted to make sure that I said is, you know, it's not me. There's, a, there's an army. Yeah. So there, there's Philippe, there's me, uh, there's five other sous chefs, and then right now there's 62 cooks. 62 cooks. So in a, in a city where people are having a really tough time finding cooks, you're holding <coughs> 62 cards. You know, it's really, it's basically an ongoing battle. We interview all the time and we, we don't turn over a lot. Like we just had our banquet chef position turn over last year and he'd been here 23 years. Mm. So the new banquet chef, you know, he's the new guy. He's been here two years. But there's a level of people that we turn over. Dishwasher though is the hardest. And we try to pay as much as we can, but when Amazon comes into town and they pay fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour to start, it's tough. Well, the whole thing is difficult now because of the minimum wage laws and now you've because of that you've got to pay the people who used to make who are at the middle tier at the yeah. high teens, you don't know, making in the low twenties. I don't know the exact numbers and every place is different, but yeah. You have some challenges because you have such a, uh, probably got a pretty large payroll over there. We do. Um, we call it compression. You know, that you have the people that were moving up to 15 and then the people that are 16, 17, 18, 19. The people in the middle just get squished, kind of like the middle class. Kind of. Oh, so the, the uppers in the middle aren't really going up. They're staying the same. Well, we have a ceiling, uh, wage ceiling that we have, you know, it's, Mm-hmm. So it's tough. We try to pay as as best we can. You know, the thing about us is we have great benefits. So we have four hundred one k. No one offers that. Um, actually, it's great that I say that on here. You know, we offer three percent, and they match three percent without doing anything. So right when you after uh, six months, you get six percent of your annual income, right in four hundred one k. No restaurants doing that. I was gonna say I w- I wasn't gonna. Unequivocally say that, but I would doubt there are many. Can't doing be very many. That. You know, doing the, that. Sorry, <laughs> Oh, that's the that might be the first time your phone ever went off. 
My phone has gone off a few times. Siri, Siri's on the podcast. Well, it's the nice thing about having a podcast. <laughs> it's not, we can, the court can make the I decision can... to edit that or not. That's a beautiful thing. Sure. So it's not live. You have to ask Siri a question about the moon. She'll give you a dissertation about it. It's pretty interesting. The current moon? Yeah. It's a beautiful moon, moon out there these days. Or this in, last few days. Any kind of planet. Anytime I ask Siri a question, she's like a seven-word statement, but you ask her about a planet or a moon or a star. And oh. she, I don't know. I'm at a severe disadvantage because I'm an Android guy, so I can't ask Siri. We won't, so we, we won't hold that against you. No. It's all right. I mean, so, um, Maybe a little bit. Yeah, back to the back to the Mac Club. Is the Mac Club an Apple Club or is it a uh, is it an Android Club? I don't know if I should say this either, but we're a little bit technology technologically um, deficient. Deficient's a good word. <laughs> we're we're moving into the present very fast. We just uploaded a brand new website. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you log on to themac.com, you can you can see that. But uh, we just you know in the recent five years, we just started text messaging as a form of advertising. For you know discounts, I, at a place where you have members, that makes a lot of sense. It's harder to do. It is, you know, from a regular restaurant to text mess to do a text message campaign. I would think. Yeah, but let me just back up and say because I just for context, in case Court and I didn't do this in the intro because we usually do the intros after. Oh sure. But the Mac Club is a different animal in Portland. Yes. But it seems to me that you serve more food than any other restaurant in town. Would that be? Uh, it'd be it'd be interesting to do a, a demographic study and see where other people fall in there. The nines they're huge, right? You know the the big hotels. Oh, well, that's true. And you got You can't just include one restaurant. So they have yeah. We have Urban Farmer and Departure. You've got your eighteen ninety one and the sports sports pub sports pub uh, yeah. grab and go place called Joe's banquet facility. In the summertime, we opened up a rooftop restaurant that's all al fresco. Uh, it's called the Sunset Bistro. It's all up in the trees. Like if you're driving up salmon, and that mm-hmm. tree line, it's right up in there. It's real nice. Does that have a view of the uh, of the soccer matches from there? No, it's on the opposite side. On the opposite side. Yeah. Okay. But you see, you know, you can see the city skyline. It's, nice. It's very popular. I just so uh, for context, I was there Thursday, and yes. You'd, Treated us to a just an absolutely that was, incredible meal for was, a guy who loves lobster. That was my first whole lobster in a long time. And I know you're like along well, with some other lobster, lobster accessories. Yeah, right. So. How was how was parking? Oh, it wasn't good. You knew because <laughs> we waited a while. So I lucked out, but uh, my friend Jamie didn't luck out. So that's took a, a while. That's an ongoing battle as well. We, you know, we there's just not enough spots for cars, mm-hmm. and actually we'll. We'll take a hit in our business if there's nowhere to park. People just drive on, like the wood on the ringside. Not that I should plug them, but they have valet. Oh, you can plug them all you want on this podcast. They sponsor it. So. They have great steaks. Yeah, and uh, they have valet. But, yeah, they uh, you do. Know, instead of and it's right next. It's really a quick shot. You're just already rolling down the hill. Yeah. So instead of around and around and around the block or the parking structure, you drive down right there. Right. So that we can take a hit in business there, but yeah, we we're big and we have twenty two thousand members and um, five restaurants. On a typical day, we'll do two thousand covers, like we talked about. And if you start to do the math on the um, food amounts, the butter, the filet mignon, the cream, you know the and even the vegan stuff, you know the vegetarian stuff, vegetables, apples, it's a lot of food. We call it the food vacuum, mm-hmm. and uh, we're kind of like, oh, we're a little long on apples right now, and you come in the next day, and all apples are gone. You're like, oh, man, I better call Randy and get some more apples. Are you sourcing directly from farmers, or do you, is that impossible for it that is, kind of volume? It is not. We do the best we can, <clears throat> and right now, you know, we go into the season, so right now we're farming, uh, sourcing local fingerling potatoes from eastern Oregon, apples and pears, uh, kind of the end of stone fruits from Randy Kiyakawa up in Parkdale. Um, lettuces and all that stuff. We're starting to get into some local kales from farms in Corvallis. But we're big enough where, like, I can call the apple guy and we'll take 30 cases of apples. Whereas a smaller person's like, you know, maybe just a single restaurant. They're going to order apples and they're going to get one case and 
if you call the farmer, like, can I get a case of Granny Smith apples? They're gonna be like, well, you can come and get it. But if you order 30 cases, they're happy to bring the truck. Mm-hmm. When we buy the fingerling potatoes, uh, Scott Panther is the farmer there. And we'll buy 850 pounds of fingerling potatoes. How long is, will that last you? We'll get about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I'll fill half of this room full of all the way to the top. Wow. Of like Russian fingers, you know, red, white. I mean, they're big, small. Some of them are like three, four inches. They're great. You cut them in half, grill them, parsley, garlic sauce. Yeah, nice. So you had, uh, the other night, you had told us how many lobsters you were getting throughout the month in lobster month. How many of these rooms would the lobsters have filled? Um, I can fill this room in one shipment. And how many shipments did you get throughout the month? I'm not sure, but we're going to do 2,400 pounds. 2,400 pounds. Which is... That's a little bit. It's, yeah. a, it's a lot. So that's one thing. Then we serve it with the uh, uh, gratin potatoes, uh, grilled asparagus, drawn butter, mm-hmm. lemon. So, I mean, you're talking like 50 cases of lemons, you know, 100 and some cases of asparagus. It's like a cruise ship over there is really what it's like, <laughs> except you don't have to move. You're better off, a little better off We're, than a cruise ship. We just kind of go around in circles in the kitchen, you know. And are there, so how many people are in the kitchen at any given time? You said you had 60 some odd cooks. Um, well, it's about two and a half schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a first guy comes in at five and then uh, there's a two o'clock and then there's a cleaning shift, which starts at about 1130 at night. They'll clean the floor, the equipment. It's just a, it's three guys full time just to do, just to clean the floor. Because, you know, we, the kitchen's brand new. I don't know if I told you, but three years ago, they completely gutted the kitchen because the kitchen was put in the 40s. In the 40s, okay. It's a while ago. Backstory on that, none of the drains ever worked when I started there. I'd call maintenance. I'd be like, the drain's backed up. Can you please come and check out the drain? Fast forward, plumber comes in. They take all the pipes out, and he shows me a cross-section of a a four-inch pipe, and it's got a pinhole in it that you can see through and he's like this is why they never worked sounds like most of your guests arteries yeah right well that's why we have the workout facility so you right, go down there, there you, and you do the cardio good segue you know we we have a little we have a little uh understanding there that i do butter duck fat and they get and they know, work it off yeah weights and such so you have to have a particular skill set to run an operation that large so Let's go back on your history. We can start from the beginning, if you like, or kind of go back, just go backwards. For me? Yeah. So how did you, uh, how'd you get into this industry? And what else would you have wanted to do? You're a snowboarder, right? I'm You're, a snowboarder, yep. Yeah. So you probably I'm, would have preferred to be doing that and us and are watching in the Olympics, I would imagine. Well, I never got that good. I, I went off the, down in the half pipe a couple of times, but never really came out of it, so to say, the right way. Mm-hmm. But, um... For me, it all started with uh, really an auto trader magazine. So when I was about. As is most chefs, that's, that's generally right. an auto magazine. Auto magazine, there. right? It's, it's, it's how you get in there. Um, so the long story with that is that I was always into cars. Like 12, 13, 14, I was like in the hot rods and, and classic cars and, and Mustangs and Camaros and, you know, GTOs. Did you collect Corgis by any chance? No. That was my thing. I got, that, I guess, dates me. My my dog was a little tiny mutt. No, 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 I don't mean dogs. They were corgi cars. Oh, no, I don't They know. were, like, from England, and that's how I got my, that's how my love of cars started. My, that's what I got every, <laughs> every holiday, every Christmas were little corgi cars. I still have them. Huh. So, they're worth something now to me. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get you off into the dog <laughs> Planet. I'm so, like, Corgis, that's an odd yeah. thing. Okay, so um, I, I, I got kind of like addicted to reading Auto Tracker magazine. Because back in those days, those cars were pretty cheap, which I guess the money is all equivalent. But you're looking at like 65 to 69 model year and, and like all these cars. And I came about 14 years old. And I'm like, well, you know, it's almost time to get my driver's license. I'm going to need an automobile. I want to get a muscle car. Who doesn't, right? And so I'm like, well, I need money. So I had and to this get... is the Midwest because muscle cars would be no. It was in it was in Yamhill, Oregon. Oh, it was in Oregon, actually. Okay, I thought for some reason I thought it was a Midwestern. 
childhood. No, no, I grew up West Coast. For, okay. For life. Um, so anyway, we, I went to my parents. My parents were restaurant owners. They had little bars and restaurants all around. And my cousin had a restaurant in Four Square of Oregon. And so I got a job as a dishwasher at age um, 14. Working semi-illegally. I don't know if I should say that on there, but I guess you can edit I it. I think the, the statute of limitations is passed yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> as far as we know. Right. I mean, the restaurant's not even there anymore, so it's, I guess You're at safe. least 24, so. Uh, that's Just turned 24. Right, yeah. so 10 years have passed. Yeah. So that was, that was my first in into the restaurant business. I was a dishwasher, and I was saving money to get a car. And I, I worked about mm, nine months in, in, like, the worst dish pit ever. Dark dingy, super busy family restaurant. And then I worked, got out of that same restaurant as a prep cook. And then I did prep cook for a little while. And then I worked the dinner shift, which was scary because I had no idea what I was doing. And we would do like simple steaks and mashed potatoes and baked potato and that kind of stuff. That was my first. And I did that for three or four years. And then, and then I bought a landscaping business with a little bit of inheritance that I got from my grandma. Mm-hmm. And I love that being outside and like working trees and landscaping such, right? And it's Oregon too, so you got yeah that outside. And that that puts you at about 1996. Uh, and if anybody remembers that year in the wine country in Oregon, it rained a lot. It rained for about four months. All the trees and the stuff I did fell over, and it was swamp everywhere. And I was like, you know what? This is terrible. I'm going back to the kitchen. I got a job at Skamania Lodge. And there I met the executive sous chef, uh, Will LaRue, and I haven't thought about him in a while. He was an alumni from New England Culinary Institute. And I went to him one day and I said, Will, I'm going to go to Western Culinary to get a culinary <clears throat> degree because I'm tired of making probably seven fifty an hour. And he said, no, 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 Western Culinary is not a good school. You need to go to New England Culinary. Uh, I will give you a thousand dollar scholarship. I'm like thousand dollars, great! Oh my gosh. Okay, well, school was fifty thousand. I was gonna say it was a little more expensive than Western culinary, so it was a little bit more drop in the bucket. And so to keep the story moving real fast, I got on air first airplane ride ever had uh, at 20 years old to the East Coast. Boom over there. And by then, I'd been in the business for the culinary business for about five or six years, and I thought it was like hot stuff a lot of stuff right and I couldn't I didn't know anything and I, t- I took a beating pretty hard and the school is really great six days a week and I worked on the seventh day for money in the restaurants so it was seven days a week 10 12 hours a day and at that particular school you do six months of schooling six month internship come back six months school six month internship and you're done so it's real fat and, and where in New England is this it was in Essex Junction and there Massachusetts was, or is that Vermont? Vermont. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. They had, um, there's Essex Junction. There was a hotel and a little tiny restaurant. And then you go into Burlington, which is the capital. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a couple more restaurants. No, Montpelier is actually the capital. Thank you. But Burlington's a cool city. And just a quick question because in those days, even before, did you, were you aware of Virgins and the Basin Harbor Club? No. Because I would imagine a lot of graduates would ended up there. That was the premier little resort area on Lake Champlain in Vermont. So, no, I didn't. I okay, I wasn't into that. We were just. I was a little oblivious to kind of the outside world at that point. Let's take a minute uh, right here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. It's been a favorite for a lot of people. For uh, they're celebrating their seventy fifth year next year, which is awesome. Yeah, who else? I guess what? Huber's maybe in Portland that has been around that long, but right. no one's been uh, carrying the torch for service as long as uh, Ringside Steakhouse. And as of, uh, and very recently also the Fish House, which unfortunately closed. Yeah. So they were, um, if, if you haven't heard the story yet, they, in that space over at Fox Tower, the... Um, the building, the a tenant wanted more space, and the Petersons decided that uh, they didn't have a younger generation that was interested in operating the restaurant business, so they decided to 
just stick with what they know really well. Not mm-hmm. that they didn't know the fish house well, but they got an offer they couldn't refuse, I guess, for the space. And uh, and now they're they're going to operate the steakhouse solely. The good news here is if you're a big fan of the onion rings, <laughs> it's all about those. The have, onion those rings. have always been in both places, and I, I had just this past weekend. I introduced a friend of mine to the onion rings, and if if you've never had the ringside onion rings, you are missing out because they are perfection. I've I had friends, two sets of friends here last month who enjoyed that, but also the lobster mashed potatoes, oh, which yeah. you could you could still get at we did ringside that. steakhouse. We did that too. And they have the after nine o'clock happy hour mm-hmm. menu, which is just as good as the fish house is better than the fish house's uh, happy hour menu too. Yeah. So. And not only that, of course, classic states, service, and an atmosphere. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, Court, because you have to be paying a little bit of attention. Portland Business Journal, ringside one best restaurant in Portland. Uh, and a few categories as well. Not only best restaurant, but I think best service, best decor. That might have been it. Oh, I, the, may, I may be wrong on that, but listeners are certainly welcome to, to call me out. Yes, certainly. Easily the best service in Portland that I've experienced myself. I think so. Is at the steakhouse. It's so. old, it's old school service. Right. It's you know it's asking the right questions and knowing what you like when you come in if mm-hmm. you've been there multiple times. So yeah, Ringside Steakhouse over on West Burnside. What's the what, the website is uh, RingsideSteakhouse.com. Yeah, there you go. That easy, and that's where you can also go and set up a reservation today. Yeah, and you can do that. As individuals, or if you have a corporate outing, you're going to impress. Mm-hmm. You know, from there, I did an internship at the West Palm Beach Ritz-Carlton. Uh, encountered a hurricane while I was down there. Super interesting scenario. We were in our little condo. Which one was it? It was Hurricane Irene. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure, but I feel like there was a different Irene that came and did a lot more damage. This wasn't, you know... Like the ones that we have now, I feel like it did a lot of damage. It did about two million dollars damage to the hotel itself and flooded a bunch of stuff. And, but I remember watching on TV, and as soon as the reporter was like, "Oh, the hurricane's gonna make landfall," we got in the truck and went down to the hotel, which is on the beach. Stupid idea, but we saw lots of trees blow around and people stranded in their cars. And we were driving in a S10 truck that was kind of jacked up because we were from Vermont, kind of hillbillies living in the Florida, and. uh so that was that. And then, you know what, after that, I came back to school, and that's where I met Philippe on the phone. Philippe Boulot. Uh, Philippe Boulot, uh, French master chef, executive chef at the Multnomah Athletic Club. And one day, I was in a in our bake shop, which starts at 2 in the morning. So it was a little off kilter, so to say. You know, when you go to work at 2 in the morning, and you're all of a sudden it's noon, and you're like, ah, I've been at work, I don't mm-hmm. really know what's happening. It's been 10 hours. Uh, the executive chef from the school knew that I was looking at Portland for a site, and he he hollered at me and uh, came in his office, and he just hands me the phone. And on the other line of the phone was Philippe. And I'm like, uh, yes, chef, hello. And he's like, what do you want to do? You know, that's his accent. That's good. That's a good impression. And he says, uh, or he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I, I just want to work on the line, chef. And he's like, okay, I'll see you in two months. And boom. That was kind of the beginning of our relationship. And this was when he was at the Heathman? At the Heathman, yeah. It was about 2001. Okay. And that's about when he's winning his Best Chef Northwest, I think, right now. Yeah, Yeah, he won 2001. I came right after that, so Mm. we were busy. The hotel was a madhouse. Reporters, you know, just the whole bit, every day for the longest time. And then um, September 11th happened. And it stops all the business because if you remember like freedom fries, like people, you know, he was French. So everyone was like America. Oh, there was, I don't know if that was a thing, but the restaurant stopped completely. And so there was a, there was a little lull there a couple months and we cut some labor. I stayed on there, but then it came back and we're, you know, busy as ever, but there was a definite, downturn that's interesting i didn't think it would it would affect three thousand miles away from new york yeah it was it was interesting um then you know i worked with him for a while um i went to colorado a couple years later did a restaurant called latour in vale colorado 
beautiful French contemporary restaurant at the foot of Vail Mountain. And I tell you, snowboarding there, you know, I ski, I snowboarded in Oregon my whole life and you go out there and it's like champagne powder and you take it in your hand and you're like, mm-hmm. and it's puff, you know, amazing. I did that for a while. Um, I came back to Portland, worked for a little bit, went to France, worked in Avignon, uh, in a restaurant called Soissons Kens or, or Numero Soissons Kens or Numero 75. And was some of this at Philippe's suggestion? Was he connecting you with some people in France, or did you? Yeah, we. That was your own. That kind of came about. We were sitting in uh, Vitaly Paley's bar at Paley's place, and we were talking about life and whatever. And I don't know how that came about. I told him I wanted to go off and do some, you know, work around New York or Chicago or something. He's like, no, no, you have to go to France. Do your thing. And I went there, and that was interesting. I I tried to learn French for four months before I went, and I I'm terrible at it. I made some friends over there, and they would just say, "Just speak English, because you sound like some drunk French hillbilly." You know, just stop it. I'm like, all right. You know, half the time I'd start speaking Spanish, and it was just super embarrassing. Um, the cool thing about that tour was that just the submersion and the, the culture. That was my first time overseas and, well, in Europe. And uh, just the, the difference, the un-Americanism. It's beautiful. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And that restaurant was actually built um, within the house of uh, Mr. Pernod, the gentleman that made, they used to make Pernod in the house, and it's just beautiful. So I was there for a while, came back, and then... Uh, we had the economy collapse in, uh, 2008, 2009, and the Heathman went through a sale, uh, sort of aggressively with Landry's corporation. And, uh, we didn't really want to be a part of that. And that's where the mat came in. So I show up to work one day and Philippe again and says, uh, uh, we're going to the Mac, dude. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, yeah. I don't, okay. Well, hold on a second. Like. Did he really say dude? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Because that was 10 years ago, and he's French. and I mean, he's been he's been hip. for. Yeah, no, I know he's been hip. He's been in a kitchen, too. But I was just yeah. curious as to whether that was, you know, because 10 years ago, dude wasn't as... Uh, well, I do know this, because I speak a little bit of French. He couldn't use the French version of dude, which is actually Mac. Really? I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Le Mac. Destiny. This yeah, and by the way, he just court just made the entire visit for you to, on this podcast worth it. Yeah. Well, so, I don't know about know. that. But. <laughs> I love that. Um, so off you went to the Mac Club, off, and off. you're still there. Well, the the before we get into that, the 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 s- unknown stress that that caused me was a little was something I'd never seen before. I never had stress about a job before. And the stress came from the thought of a private club. Chefs go to private clubs to die, so to say. They're, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to a golf club. I'm going to go to the club. I'm not going to do anything. You're done. Right. It's like. And the pressure is a little different there than it is. Yeah, there's not, there's not the same pressure. And, and, and in 2008 and nine, we were, we were doing really great stuff, you know, that, and then to have a thought of going to a club, I literally broke out from head to toe in hives and we had a nurse on the floor at the Heathman. <laughs> her name was Kat if she hears this and I had brought her down the office and I took off my jacket and I was like what is wrong with me like I was just I'd never seen it before just rash from head to toe and she's like well it looks like you're having a bit of a reaction are you stressed about something <laughs> and I'm like yeah uh, but yes I am and so um, I kind of worked through that and then off to the Mac we went but and how many how many of the Heathman crew did you take with you? And what was the um, and what happened at the Mac? Because all of a sudden these new guys are showing up. One of them, pretty probably at least one of them, very disciplined. Philippe, uh, you know, probably was operate going to operate the Mac Club differently than it had before. There was turbulent times for sure. He went there a week before me and um, cleaned a little bit of house. The staff there was was solid to begin with. There was a lot of positions that didn't need to be there. 
Like you had one guy that just peeled potatoes. You had one guy that just cut lettuce. And in a club environment, that's great. But, you know, to build upon that, you have to have people that are cross-trained and people that do everything. You know, some person calls in sick, you can't just be like, oh, lettuce guy's not here. Oh, we don't have any lettuce. Right, I'm sorry. I only do lettuce. I don't do potatoes. Right. It's not a union shop. Right. We don't even want to say the word union, but, you know. And we started, I started plucking people out of the Heathman. And uh, Philippe got issued with a non-compete clause from Landry's. And they said, look, if you take one more person out of here, we're going to sue you. And whether that's a, a possibility or not, you know. You don't want to test it. Well, those guys have lawyers that just sit around with nothing to do. Right. Like they're just going to tie it up. I mean, it's very obvious Landry's has more money than uh, Philippe, so to say, right? So we kind of backed out of that for a couple of years. But we've pulled probably uh, two dozen people from over the past nine years out of there. So And there's a, there's a decent pool elsewhere in Portland from which to... Yeah. Pull. Yeah. But, you know, we there was the, the connections that I made at the Heathman, you know, through in that stressful environment, you make strong bonds. So, you know, someone calling me like, yeah, man, I don't really like my job. What's going on? I'd be like, all right, bud, come on. You know, you're in. So. And meanwhile, what are you going to do? Not do, now you have to start not doing that because of Landry's. And. Well, yeah, we put it on. We put it on pause for a while. He came to me and he was like, "You have to stop calling." Me. So that was on Philippe. It wasn't the Mac Club that would take responsibility for that potential lawsuit. No, I don't think that. You know, I don't know if you can go. You know, Landry's against the Mac. The Mac is, you know, probably three quarters young, hungry lawyers mm-hmm. that just wanted. Yeah, stuff, there's probably some. Know. Someone will do pro, pro bono just to. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so that that was an interesting year, year and a half. Uh, with that kind of thing, but we eventually moved past it, and and uh, you know now, Vitaly has the Heathman, and and we're a lot happier because it's a beautiful restaurant. There's so much hard work that went into it, and to watch uh, an outside corporation just kind of run it into the ground, it's tough. Yeah, well, when I I know when I first moved here, the Heathman was at the top of the heap. It was the center of the universe. Yeah, for... it was the center of the food universe, and it had been for a long time, and yeah. still, as far as six degrees of separation, there are a lot of people who have been through the Heathman. And then through the 2010s, yeah. all of a sudden, it didn't, you know, well, now it's coming back. It, it, it took bringing Vitaly in there to uh, give it some meaning. So what are the biggest challenges you have at... Uh, at the club. At the club. Yeah, you seem pretty, you seem very comfortable when I saw you, was it Wednesday or Thursday night? <laughs> you seemed very relaxed we and so very, busy. yeah, yeah. you were really busy, but there's you. there you are, right. nicely presenting all the food and in a relaxed fashion. You weren't. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of the club. That comes back to the team. They're so good. Our guys are the best. Like, they would go to war for me and I would go to war for them. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful relationship. And, you know, we had so much going on that night. You were there, but they're so good at it that it really takes a lot to get them off kilter. You know, they are in there and they're just in their zone. I wanted to take you and your, and your guests into the kitchen and show you guys. But again, there was, there's always another opportunity. We, we won't pass that opportunity up, but, um, but Carlos, too, 27 years there. Is that right? 27, 24? I think 24. 24. Okay. There's, there's Carlos. There's another server, Ray, who's like 23 years. You know, all those servers, there's two of them, two or three of them that are brand new, and that means like five years old uh, in there. But he seemed, it seemed like it was a natural that he was there. I mean, you're somewhere 24 years. I would hope so. You know what you're doing, and but he wasn't calling it in. He was... Yeah, he was, he was there. He was doing it, right? Yeah, he was doing a great job. We enjoyed him. He enhanced the night. That's the that's a good server, either not getting in the way of the night or enhancing it. One of the two. That's what that's what we push for. You know, like we want him to be, we want him to be there, but we don't want him to be hovering and, and annoying. It'll be like kind right. of anticipation of guest needs, mm-hmm. so to say. Yeah, did a um, good job. But some of the some of the challenges. Um, are kind of internal for me. I think that the private club aspect, we don't get reporters and 
bloggers and all that stuff to come in and take pictures and talk to me and write about me. And I'm just like stuck in this hole. I did. So I, you came I in did there. some Instagramming. You, you, you broke in there. <laughs> but like I said, you can't, you can't even, people can't even walk in there. You get held up at the door. And then if you try mm-hmm. to run, like they're going to get the MOD and like, you're going to get, you're going to get taken out. Like it's, it's, uh, that's a challenge. So like I, you know, I try to get, stay involved in the community as much as I can. I do a lot of stuff with our house and the, Wild about game with Nikki USA and the the Feast Portland, you know all those things. I try to keep my face in the in the in the limelight, so to say, or in the microphone. I guess. But you don't have. There's no real business reason to do that because, first of all, your membership is pretty. Uh, you have to what? It's two years out just to get in the lottery to yeah, become it's, a member. It's three so years. So you don't uh, need to do a membership drive. No. And so, really, what's the purpose uh, other than? Making your members feel like there's some special things going on in the kitchen. You have to stay current in the culinary field. You know, we want to stay current. We don't want to get asleep at the wheel. We don't want to be just the stinky Mac club. We want to be current and sharp and, and attractive. And, you know, for not only for me, but like for the cooks, when they leave there, I want them to be like, I worked at the Mac and people are like, oh, okay, this guy, we need to get him. chops. You know. Um, and that benefits everybody from Philippe to the dishwashers, to the servers, to the, to the members, really. If we stay on our game, then we're on our game. You know, that's, that was the biggest challenge was building the restaurant up. When I started there, there was powdered sauces, which I'd never really seen before. Like you get just powdered chicken stock, you know, I mean, I guess I've seen it in like top ramen, but. That kind of stuff. That's what they were using to make sauces. And I went and we threw all that stuff away and uh, roasting veal bones and making chicken stock, and making fresh soup. And that was that was a big challenge. There was a certain percentage of the labor that just didn't take very easily to that. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the veal stock? Like it's in it's in the pot, dude. Strain it. So that was that was a challenge. Our friends at San Pellegrino would like to shine the spotlight on Dining at Departure. Floating atop the landmark Meyer and Frank building above the Nines Hotel, Departure's ambitious menu captivates diners with its masterful remix of authentic and coastal cuisines. From street food-styled starters to meal-sized classics, rice and noodle specialties to market-fresh sushi, Chef Gregory Gorday and his team at Departure embrace the bounty of the Pacific Northwest to deliver the fiery flavors of the Far East. Settle into your seat at Departure's coolly elegant lounge or claim your perch on their panoramic deck and toast to the spirit of exploration with its menu of global cocktails. Sipped high above the city center from Portland's best downtown location. A great way to compliment any dish on Departure's exciting menu is with a sparkling bottle of San Pellegrino. Make sure to check into SanPellegrino.com to see where the best chefs in the world recommend you dine. And San Pellegrino also recommends you make a reservation soon to dine at Departure in Portland. I would say the greatest thing that I got out of the Mac is my wife. She was the food and beverage administrative assistant, and I would call up there and I'd be like, um, do you have any post-it notes or do you have any pens? Do you have any pencils? And, you know, all the time. You needed time. post-it notes all the time. every day. Staples, whatever, <laughs> paper, <laughs> need a chair, you know, whatever. And one day she said, uh, I hope she hears this, she says, uh, one day she's like, uh, are you really calling me for post-it notes? Like, no, no, no. I'm like, do you want to go out for a drink with me? And she says, no. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, fine. I'm going back downstairs. And fast forward, she, she was like, I have plans. I'm like, okay, sure you do. And turns out she actually did have plans with her sister to go to some play. Uh, Lindsay, if you hear this, you were the reason. And, you know, we finally went out. Well, I kept putting it off, and I kept putting it off because it was December. Did you keep up with the post-it notes, or did you, oh, yeah, did I you was drop that take, MO? No, no, I'm taking food up there. Like, you know, do you need a salad? Do you need a steak? Do you want lobster, crab? I mean, what do you want? And uh, finally in January, we went out, and that was eight years ago. 
2010. Yeah, nice. Eight years ago, yeah. So not everybody can be guaranteed those results when they go work at the Mac Club that they're going to find their wife and then have kids. No, I would hope not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I would hope so, but but it's a nice love story, and you're still there. Is she still there? No, she's a teacher now. She got a real job. She uh, shortly after we met, she quit to go to school full time for her master's degree in teaching, and she teaches third grade now. Oh, nice. Which is crazy. There's like 30 kids in her class that are seven mm-hmm. years old. I don't, that's, that's scary. Yeah. It's but terrifying. You, but you don't do that unless you like it. As same thing with chefs, I've learned, you know, you don't, you're not really looking for days off. You enjoy what you do. It's, so. a, it's a sickness. Right. It's a disease. Right. It really is. That's not to say that some people don't appreciate a day right. off, but it's not the ultimate goal. You know, so. I, that's a good point because at the end of the week, I'm like, oh man, I get some days off with the kids. What are we going to do? We're going to go rock climbing or I don't know. But then, you know, when I'm driving to work on Monday, I'm like, all right, like, let's see, I got to call this guy. What are we going to do on the menu? You know, it's going into fall. Like what kind of root vegetable play are we going to do? And that, I love that. I love it so much. Yeah. I I learned that when the day I went into some event in McMinnville and Vitaly Paley was there uh-huh. you know there were a lot of chefs there was one of those you know around the room everybody's serving something yeah and, and it was his 50th birthday and he tells me i said well what are you doing here on your 50th birthday and he just looks at me and says, this is what i do yeah this is which it. Is, that was a learning experience that moment for me because i was like okay the, all you guys are operating under a different framework than i am um i like what i do but i can't see on my 50th birthday, just doing my job. I don't know, at court, on your 50th birthday, are you going to be doing this? Yeah, we'll, we'll I see. I think you're going to take the day off at least. Maybe. Yeah. I, I didn't for my 40th, but 50th is a different thing. Yeah. So, are you didn't for your 40th. Well, no. good for you. Dedicated no. man. It wasn't this. It wasn't the podcast. No, it was, it was your radio my radio gig. job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, well, cool. So, what do you do? So, how old are your kids now? So, I have two kids. Um... Two beautiful, terrifying children. Oldest one's a boy named Clark, and uh, he's a he's a madman. He's just how old is he? Four. Oh yeah, well they're all mostly madmen. Yeah, mad boys. He's 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 big. He's always been in the ninety sixth percentile for for height. So he's a big dude. And then my daughter, she's uh, two and a half. Almost three. Her name is. Oh man, you're in the trenches right now because I remember those were nineteen months apart. Yeah, and those mm. are tough times. That's when a marriage, I I believe that's the true test of a marriage at that with those ages. It's that's it's a test. It's a full it's the full meal deal. Mm-hmm. We got we got everything going on, and you know, but it's beautiful to have them so close together. I can't believe what I'm even saying because once you once you pass a stage, then you're done with it. So like we're almost done with diapers, and then whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, and then it won't be long before you even forget there was anything such as diapers. I, I'm, it's almost gone. Yeah, you know, like every once in a while I have to change her diaper, and I'm like, oh man. Um, but they're great. You know, they go to they go to they go to preschool now, and they're they're super smart, and they repeat things that I say that I shouldn't say. Like what? Well, here, here's, let me tell you, let me tell you something that's good for the podcast. So we live in a 1920s bungalow in Southeast Portland and mm-hmm. it's an older home and I've been working on it and this and that. And so the side door always sticky, you know, that you turn it and the knob and, you know, I need to rebuild the whole door jam basically. And so every day I leave, I'm about five minutes behind. I got two bags, two kids, you know, my gym bag and you know, 47 other things I'm trying to get out the door and the and the door always well I've fixed it now but the door always sticks and I grab it and I'd be like God, fucking door right so about two months ago my son's at my mother-in-law's house and he goes to the door he's like hey open this fucking door nice <laughs> and my and mother, he points to dad well I wasn't there no but I mean that's the, yeah so you know for the mother-in-law my mother-in-law my wife and, and the <laughs> sister-in-law are all standing there, their jaws are on the floor, and they're like, what did you say, Clark? And he's like, open the fucking door, let's go. <laughs> That's great, at four. Who taught you that? My daddy. Mm. Perfect. So My my first word was fuck. Yeah. But way earlier than that, I think, than well, right. but I happened to be at F.A.R. Schwartz in New York, and I pointed to a truck. That's what came out. Right. 
Well, he's so, he said, but so I, no one blamed my father on that. Yeah, you, you got the fall on that. The the other the funniest other thing is that he was on his bike the other day, and we're going around the block, and there's a big curb because we haven't they haven't gone through and done all the sloping corner sidewalk thing yet, and so he's this giant curb, it's like a foot tall, and he comes up to it with his bike, and he's like, "How do I get my fucking bike on this yeah, thing?" Yeah, there you go. Just. <laughs> Just so like how it's, you gonna just break like him it's can this? I have a sandwich? You know? How do you break him of this? I don't know. I haven't even I haven't even acknowledged it. Which oh, might, you haven't. Which you might haven't not be... had the conversation that I'm sorry. This is <laughs> your dad may do this. So this is your first lesson in life that you're right. Your father's allowed to do certain things. You're not do as I say, not as I do. Maybe I'm, right. I'm not sure. I mean, I I've told him once. You know, I'm not sure how to handle it. Uh, well, it looks like he's got a career in a kitchen, right? Uh, so that's what it sounds like what, what's coming up. Would you wish that on him? Would you want him to become no. a chef? I mean... You know, it's funny. I ask here, a lot of people that, and they don't want their kids to do that. You know, it. yes, I do, if it's his passion. Right. Okay, like, whatever his... Like, I feel sometimes when I'm in the shit, so to say... And there's like people around me and we're doing banquets and the restaurant's going off. And we're doing food that's amazing. And people are coming like, I need help in the sports pub and uh, down in Joe's. We need more spinach wraps. And that is like the biggest rush for me. And it like, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, fuck, I have goosebumps, you know, like we're doing it. Like you're in the business. See that for me, I'm sorry, but that for me would be what would make me not like it. But go ahead. You know, but if you have that adrenaline fueled passion for whatever, then so be it. I'd rather him obviously be a doctor, lawyer, you know. For the money? There's a lot of stress and underlying negatives to a culinary career. Alcohol abuse, stress on your body. You know, half the chefs I know have varicose veins and they have knee problems and back problems and neck problems and marriage problems and financial problems and you know, it's but doctors have some of those problems too. Everyone does. Right. I know, but the you know, I guess it's alcohol. You know, you see you see Gabriel Rucker and, and Gregory uh working on all these kind of alcohol free things right now. Right. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Because yeah. it's there's so much of that abuse. And now we're moving over to cannabis. So now they're celebrating <laughs> the cannabis and we're having cannabis dinners and even Vitaly's serving I cannabis. Know. He's fed pork. High on the hog. I love yeah. it. I saw it on Instagram. Oh, this. A, I haven't heard that, but yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's how that's his promo is like high on the hog. I guess I, I've seen certain ends of it, but not that. But that's cool. Yeah. But so there, and that's but that's a different abuse than alcohol. I think it gets you in less trouble. I feel like it does. You know, alcohol is debilitating, and it's it's a sickness. I've seen you know like Anthony Bourdain. So many people meet their demise. Because of a bottle. It, it ruins lives in a lot of ways, whereas I don't think cannabis does that in the same. I mean, if you're stoned, what are you going to do? You're like, oh, God, I wish I had a donut. Right. You know, like, you're not going to. You're not going to crash cars. I don't. It didn't come from me, but generally speaking, <laughs> I don't think. I'd rather have someone driving down the street coming my way who's had a, a little bit of pot than a lot of drinks or a little bit of a few drinks. It's true, so. yeah. But. It's an interesting world. It's all changing with the economics of the restaurant world are changing and, and that end of it. And now you've got, I don't know how it comes into play for you, but in the last couple of years, Me Too, you've got a lot of changing mores in the kitchen that you have to deal with or or understand rather than just deal with them. But yeah, you know, I... conscious of? We, uh, the club has a certain disposition on, you know, diversity, but we've always been ahead of that. We, you know, I love to have women in the kitchen and, and ethnicity and all that because it keeps people in check, especially women. You get a bunch of guys in the kitchen, it's ego-driven, maniac, right? But you get a couple of women that are better than them and they're like, oh, shit. You know, yeah, but still, years ago, th certain things were even tolerated by women that just were part of the game, right? And so now that some have spoken up, now it's just not tolerated anymore and there's a different viewpoint on it. And I think it makes sense. But, you know, for a long time, even in my mom's world years ago, it was just understood she was going to be a secretary. She didn't complain about it. So it took a long time to get to this, which is, you know, as you said. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's I love it. And I, I think it's great to have a daughter who, you know, hopefully by four she's into karate and she's going to be a black belt. 
she's going to just, you know. And she's going to take care of dad for being a bad influence <laughs> on her brother. <laughs> or take care of her brother. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, we, you know, I, I think it's great. Um, what, how many women do you have in your kitchen? What is it? A, I'm not sure the exact number. Um, we have just percentage wise, generally we're, speaking, we're probably, we're probably 35, 40% on the chef team. Um, it's 75%. Wow. So there's, uh, or is it? No, it's 50, 50. So there's Philippe, me, another guy, uh, JP. And then three women. So yeah, it's exactly 50 50. He'll be glad. And the three women are, since you mentioned you, Philippe, and JP. Well, we have April, April. Uh, who's worked with me the entire time I've been at the club. And I love her. She's like the silent shredder. Um, Deanna, who we poached from the Heathman. And um, Julie. Julie. Julie, April, they run Joe's. And that's the establishment that does 700 covers a day. Yeah. So it's kind of like a super high end 7 Eleven. It's nice. All homemade. So is there any suggestion for how anybody who would want to have the Mac experience can become a member? Because I read you're, it's only the only members being accepted now are in the diversity program. So that means like a, a white guy like me just what? is out. Well, yeah, you're there not. are a lot of white guys like me in there already, but I'm not, I don't have a, you're not if out, I had the money, I don't have a chance. You just got to go on the list. Right, but it said what I read was only the only people being accepted now are in the from the diversity program. I don't think I'd qualify unless all of a sudden I'm a minority. Yeah. So I no. thought that was interesting. So I even if I had the the wherewithal, because it seems it looks like it would be a great place to be all the time. It is. Yeah. It is super great. The athletic program and the kids programs are super great. But as far as enrollment goes, they have a certain number that they they have a enrollment ceiling so to say and so you have to wait for people to either pass away or quit mm -hmm. and there's not exactly a line for people to quit yeah um there we do have a lot of people that pass on you know we do a lot of celebrations of life and that's a thing but but they can pass some memberships to their families that's, so that's true yeah they don't just necessarily become available that's true so as uh as a chef there you you get the benefits for your family of um in a in a sense yeah um you know, I don't, uh, we go in there and we do a couple things. Like I can't put them in some of the exclusive camps. Like we had Damian Lillard in there doing a, a basketball camp one time. Came walking through. I'm like, whoa, that's nice. Wow. That's kind of nice. But, um, I, we get use of these facilities, the gym, the pools, that kind of stuff. And you can eat there. We can eat there. So, so speaking of, cause we're almost out of time. Sure. I'm just curious where are you, where are your, some of your favorite places to my, to go with either your family or just out with your wife on a date. Uh, okay. Well, that's a good how well, I was in prep for that. So, uh, aviary mm -hmm. on Alberta. There's a, there's a solid Sarah Pliner. Yeah. Heathman alumni. Mm -hmm. Super solid. Um, really any John Gorm restaurant, you know, if you can stand in the line, you know, the food's so good. I haven't been there since we had kids, but we used to go and have, you know, 14 or 15 Bloody Marys and 10, oh, that's good. 10 or 12 courses, right? Do you uh, get a break on the 12th Bloody Mary? No, we don't. Okay. We don't. There's no breaks. <laughs> it's like a baker's dozen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the 13th. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but there are tricks to getting into John's restaurants and John and Renee's restaurants yeah. and, and Ron's. <laughs> Just keep going. So, right. Um, uh, but then the other one, super uh, – hideout spot so to say is up on 50th and Hawthorne called uh called the Sapphire Hotel it's not a hotel oh a yeah Sapphire, yeah and my wife loves that place and they do the best cocktails mm -hmm. again since we have kids you know we don't really drink anymore but it's a pretty cool spot I've been there a few times you sit on the little couch in the mm -hmm. corner I love it everything's velvet a lot of velvet in there a lot of velvet yeah. yeah it's cool well that's good to know do you get out much we don't. We try to do. We're 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 starting talks of date night. You know, a lot more now. I firmly believe for a family with kids your age, so I I think it's really important because so you got important. you have to remember that it started with you two, right? And that it's not all. It's because the rest of your life is all about the kids. Yeah. So you have to pay attention to yourselves. It's very, important. Very important. And and I'm really not one to speak because it didn't necessarily work for me at that age. Yeah. didn't work 
but I I believed at the time. One of the problems we did was we stopped paying attention to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We were, everything was always a pull from somewhere else. So. My, mo- my mother-in-law, Karen, she told me in the beginning, she said, you have to take time for yourself. You have to get yourself ready first. Because I would run around and get the kids in my, oh, Karen, I still have to brush my hair. I don't even have any pants on, you know? And and uh, she's like, you have to get ready first. It's you and then the kids. Well, it's the same thing on an airplane. You have to put the mask the, the mask on before you put it on the kids. You gotta, you gotta help yourself before you help others. But that's a good analogy, I think. Just in life, you yeah. gotta you gotta do that. Well, listen, um, it was a pl- this went fast. It did. Are we done already? Yeah, we're done. I want to stay all day. Did you have anything? You welcome to. Court and I have to leave at some point. Oh, yeah. but, well, that's going to be awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'll just keep talking into the microphone. But is there anything that perhaps you wanted to cover that when you walk out, you said, gee, I wish we talked about this. That- uh, well, you can, uh, well, my first food memory was is a funny, terrifying thing. So when I was, um, boy, I was five, and I love spaghetti. It's like the best thing. I don't know why. Any type of spaghetti, foie gras, this, that, just Parmesan. Oh, at five, you're really into the foie gras spaghetti? I didn't, I didn't know about foie gras, but I knew about Parmesan. Okay. And my first cooking memory, people ask me, well, what's your first memory of cooking? Well, here it is. We lived in Redmond, Oregon. Our house was on the side of the canyon. If you know Redmond, there's a canyon that runs through it. We mm-hmm. had a house right there. I went down in the basement, and I set up our camper stove, which had the detachable propane thing that had the tube. You put it in there, you turn it on, you light it somehow, and it makes a burner. Pot of water. And I made spaghetti in there by myself. No one knew. My mom came down, and she saw me do that. And she was, and I had already cooked it, drained it, was eating it. And she was like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I made spaghetti. Did you, you want some? It's real good. <laughs> and she she got real upset with me. And uh, I never really understood why, but now I have a kid. That's like you my boy Clark. The propane. Next Let's year, see. going down in my basement with a bottle of propane and a lighter. Yeah. yeah. Terrifying. But you hey, look, it look it paid off. You're Here I now, am. You're now a master of, with the propane. As, and I yeah. I have all my hands. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and your facilities and you you're uh, you got a good thing going. So every kid maybe should consider some daring spaghetti move like that. Absolutely. Or at least now you know, just hide the propane tanks. Just, yeah. Yeah, and just give them a hot plate. <laughs> yeah. Although even that's anything the, hot. That's the lesson right there. Right. Anything hot. So water boiler. Yeah. Water boiler. Well, well so, so, go ahead. I was just going to say, I appreciate you having me on your program. Oh, no, it's our it. pleasure. And what a treat. Um, I want to, you to come back to the Mat Club. In January, February, we do Oregon Dungeness Crab Festival plug. And you got to check that out. It's a giant buffet. It's So yeah. here's the thing about that. Now that you brought it up in Court's presence, he's he's invited. Well, you got to bring him. Right. So you need, right. Court, it's, it's a buffet, Randy, so you, I have someone I'd like to come with now, so it'll be a foursome. Yeah, you bring four or five people, you get some oh, five. Some white wine, and you just go at it. Well, we'll have fun. Pick some random. But that's a great, not only is that a great um, invitation, because if it's anything like the lobster fest, well, we have the other day. it's a buffet, the big, it's, oh, the buffet. Yeah. It's, but I, I don't get to get out, I, I don't, when was the last time I was out with you and your wife? You and I do lunch once a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been a while. And it's been a long yeah, time, yeah. so we're putting that on the calendar and yeah. we're gonna take you up on it. So okay, I'll email you, I'll get you in. Totally appreciate it. Thank you and appreciate your coming. Alright, great Hello. today, great guest. Thanks for uh, enhancing our podcast. Thank you very much. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.